This morning, we're going to open God's Word, read the Scripture reading, pray, and then share some thoughts from the book of Revelation. So let's look at our Scripture. Revelation chapter 5, as is the practice here, the pastor reads the Scripture, preacher of the day. Revelation 5, verse 8 through 10, we're going to read. This is one of three songs in the book of Revelation. Revelation has three songs, the Oratorio of Creation, the Oratorio of Redemption, and the Oratorio of Triumph or Victory. We're looking at Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 10. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us of God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations, and have made us kings and priests to God, and we shall reign on earth. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word and study the great themes of the book of Revelation, we pray that the curtain would be swept aside, that we would see Jesus clearly as creator, see Jesus in all his might and power and his infinite care. We would see him as redeemer and understand more deeply his love and the sacrifice of the cross. And we would see him as coming king, in triumph and glory over the powers of evil. Father, may today we have a fresh glimpse of Jesus. Inspire our hearts with your word in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had one of those days that you woke up and you weren't overwhelmingly discouraged, but you just didn't feel like yourself? You didn't have that joy in your soul you didn't have that peace in your heart, and it was kind of like a, a cloud was around you, and you were going off to work kind of thinking, what, what's going on with me? I just don't have the joy, the happiness, the peace that, that I ought to have as a Christian. And then a song comes to your mind. Maybe it's, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? And that song lifts your spirit. You know, songs have a way of doing that. They have a way of lifting our spirits. They have a way of encouraging our hearts. They have a way of refreshing our souls. When I was 21 years old, I spent my 21st birthday in the jungles of Brazil. And we were taking an ambulance from Belém, Brazil, at the mouth of the Amazon River to Fortaleza, Brazil. In those days, we traveled down the Belém-Brasilia Highway and then cut off toward in, uh, uh, Caxias Imperatriz. And we cut through the jungles, 500 miles through the jungle. And on one occasion, we were going over a mountain pass coming down the other side of the mountain in this Red Cross ambulance. There were three of us there, myself, Dr. Adelo Rocco, and uh, another one of our physicians, Dr. Marillo, were with us. 
As we came down the mountain pass, we were hitting rocks and trying to dodge those rocks. And pretty soon we hit a rut in the road and then hit a rock. And the driver had to shift. And rather than shifting in, downshifting from third gear to second or first, he missed the gears and shifted into reverse as we were going down the hill. I heard this cracking noise and immediately knew that we had shattered the gear casing on that vehicle and we were done. We were there now a few hundred miles out in the jungle, stuck. And as we were stuck there, we prayed. We knew that a jungle truck would come along about once every day carrying rice to the villages. And we knew as the result of that, that we could send one of us back. So we sent one of the doctors back to a little village about 60 miles away in the jungle that had a ham radio that we could radio our mission headquarters to get help so they could fly a helicopter out there and try to get us some help. We were in the jungles, left there between four or five days, had nothing to eat during that time, and finally... Uh, met an Indian tribe, and that's another story of hiking into the jungles with these Indians to try to get some food. But the thing that I remember about that experience more than anything else that impressed me incredibly as a young man was Dr. Rocco began to sing. And each night as we heard the sounds in the jungle and as we heard the various jungle animals crying out, Dr. Rocco was singing, I know the Lord will find a way for me. If I live a holy life and do that which is right, I know the Lord will find a way for me. I've, I had never heard that song. I've never heard it sung since. But that song sung during that period of time over those few days just stuck in my mind. I know the Lord will find a way for me. And it lifted this 21-year-old student missionary spirits incredibly. Songs have a way of doing that. Throughout the book of Revelation, God has given us three songs that encourage our hearts, three songs that water our souls, three songs that lift our spirits. These songs written 2,000 years ago speak to us today. They are ever new, ever fresh in inspiring God's people. The first of these songs I call the Oratorio of Creation. If you have your Bible, please take it and turn to... Revelation, the fourth chapter. We're looking there at Revelation chapter 4. Three great songs, the oratorio of creation, the oratorio of redemption, and the oratorio of deliverance. These songs speak to us today. Revelation chapter 4, we begin with verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. When the days are long, when the journey is rough, when the valley is dark, when the challenges before you seem overwhelming, there is always a door open in heaven. And Jesus says, look away from the difficulties, look away from the challenges, look away from the obstacles, look through that open door. The voice of Christ speaks to us yet today. John was exiled on the island of Patmos, separated from family, separated from his friends. 
He's an old man now, gray hair, deeply etched lines upon his face, hand trembling, and God gives him a prophetic vision and says, John, look away from your challenges. John, look away from your difficulties. John, look away from your problems. John, look through the open door in heaven. John, come up here. By faith, we look through the open door of heaven. And as John looks up there, what does he see? What does he hear? He sees 24 elders, representative of men and women who have been resurrected from earth. These 24 elders, male figures, are representative of the entire human race that one day will be redeemed. The Bible says these 24 elders come from the earth When Christ died and was resurrected, the Bible says the graves were open. Then as Jesus ascended to heaven, Ephesians 4, a host of multitudes ascended with him. So who are these 24 elders? Evidently, there are those redeemed from the earth. If Christ could redeem them by his grace, he can redeem us by his grace too. They walked this earth. They faced the temptations of Satan. As John looks up there, he becomes encouraged. His heart rejoices because he hears them saying or singing something. We look at it here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures, these are the four living creatures, the the lion and the eagle, the man-like creature that is around the very, the calf that's around the throne of God. Some people wonder what that means, and I should just pause and indicate a strong possibility. You'll notice it in verse 7. So let's go back to verse 7. It says the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living face with the face of a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, representing royalty around the throne of God. Christ is worthy because he is royal, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The calf is an element of sacrifice. So Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, became a man. He had a face like a man. He becomes a man. He is sacrificed like the bullock or like the calf, but he ascends to heaven like the flying eagle. So this is really a picture of praise of Jesus. It's really a picture of heavenly beings worshiping Christ around the throne of God. Now, they say in verse 8, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the eternal everlasting Christ. But notice verse 9, because what the living creatures say, the uh, 24 elders also say, and it's significant, when, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is on the throne, they give glory and honor. Now there's a word added for what the 24 elders say. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their thrones before the, thr- cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy saying or or singing you are worthy first song they're saying or singing you are worthy O lord to receive glory honor and power now let's pause right there what was it that the devil desired when he challenged god's throne in heaven he desired three things glory honor and power what is glory glory is the character of christ and the character of christ that is echoed throughout all the universe in his splendor, his magnificence, and his glory. The devil wanted to sit on Jesus' throne and reflect that glory. 
but he didn't want Jesus' character. So glory, honor, what is honor? It's reputation. So the devil wants the reputation of God. What's power? That's authority. So what does the devil want? He wants to sit on God's throne, revealing his own glory, Lucifer's glory, not God's glory, revealing his own hellish ways, his own reputation, and uh, his own power. But here, Revelation 4 says the four elders fall at the feet of Jesus and they say that you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. Because Jesus, why is Jesus worthy? First, because you created all things. Here is the song of creation. You created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. What does the song of creation say to you and me today? The first thing it says is that God is a God of illimitable power. The second thing it says is God is a God of infinite concern. Let's look at both of those things throughout Scripture. This God of unlimited power. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 26. God is a God of unlimited power. We find this combination of unlimited power and infinite concern in Isaiah 40 and verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them by name. Notice he's the God of unlimited power. He created these things. He calls their host by number. He calls them by name. He's the God of infinite concern. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. God speaks and it is done. He speaks at creation and the sun appears. He speaks at creation and sun, moon, and stars appears. He speaks and the earth is carpeted with living green and fruit trees appear and flowers appear in all of their beauty. What God says is so, even if it were never so before, because when God speaks it, it becomes so. And the audible word coming out of God's mouth becomes tangible matter, because what God says, he is able to create. He is a God of unlimited power. We can trust him, because we know that we can put our lives in the hands of the creator of the universe. So all of heaven bows down before him. And all of heaven says, you are worthy of glory, of praise, and of honor and power. For you created all things. We did not evolve. We are not simply skin covering bones. We're not some genetic accident. We're not some anomaly of nature. We are created by an all-powerful God with unlimited power. And when we put our lives in his hands, we know that he's big enough to solve our problems, great enough to unravel our difficulties, great enough to unshackle us from the chains of sin that bind us. But that's only half the story. Not only is he the God of of unlimited power, but he's the God of intimate power. Concern for our lives. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation, the fourth chapter. We are not specks of cosmic dust in the universe. 
We are not simply one of seven billion plus people clawing at one another for living space. Notice what it says in Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I'm interested in this phrase, by your will they exist. So you and I do not exist by fortuitous chance. Before you were ever conceived in the womb of your mother, you were born in the mind of God. By your will they exist. Why is it that you live in the 21st century? Why weren't you born a thousand years ago? Why weren't you born 2,000 years ago? Did you have a choice of when you were born? By your will they exist in the divine drama of destiny. In this thing called life, God brought you onto the scene of existence, not at some accident, but at this time, in this place, to reveal his glory. Now notice what it says, by your will they exist. I mean, you know, one day it struck me, and I thought to myself, why am I not a cow? You say, that struck you? Yeah, it really struck me. (laughs) Why are you not a cow? Out there. Somebody said hallelujah. I say double hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) See, you know, why aren't you out in the field chewing grass someplace? I mean, seriously. I mean, well, why aren't you some mosquito that flies by and says, what swat you? I want you one of those bugs that flew down my throat. No, no, no. <laughs> See, why not? You know, I didn't choose to be a human being, did you? I didn't choose to be some cow. I, I didn't choose not to be some cow or not to be some bug. When God shaped you and God formed you, When the genes and chromosomes came together to form the unique biological structure, your personality, God brought you onto existence at this time in this earth's history as a human being to fulfill a unique purpose for him. That purpose may be in your family. It may be with your children. That purpose may be in your neighborhood. But God brought you together and your personality together to reflect his love in the place where you live, in the place where you work. There is nobody else like you in the universe. In Psalm chapter 33 and verse 15, is one of the most magnificent texts in all the book of Psalms. Psalm 33 verse 15. And here the scripture puts it this way. Psalm 33, we're looking there at verse. Let's start with verse 13, 14, and 15. The Lord looks from heaven, and he does, doesn't he? He sees all the sons of men. What's that word? He sees what? Does that include you? Does it include me? He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looks on what? All the inhabitants of the earth. Now, verse 15, I believe, is one of the most significant verses in the book of Psalms. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So God... In the divine laboratories of heaven, there in the realms of space, 
God shapes and fashions and brings together in infinite ways that I can never understand or comprehend, but He is an infinite God, an all-wise God, an all-powerful God. He, bring, he fashions every heart individually, brings you together with your uniqueness in the world, and if God loses you, He can never replace you. If God loses you, there's nobody else like him in the universe, nobody else like you in the universe. You are one of a kind. He has created you at this time, brought you into existence as this time to be a witness in this final generation of his love, his care, his goodness. You are the key to unlock some heart. Now let's suppose I had uh, a bunch of keys here. And let's suppose I had the key to my car. Would the key to my car start your car? Would the key to my car open the door of your home? Would the key to my car unlock your safe in your house? Would it do that? My key may start my car, but my key is limited, right? So you, as a unique individual, have been given gifts by God, and as you express your worship to God, there's nobody else like you in the universe that it can express worship to God like you can. And so as you pray, nobody else can pray like you. As you sing, nobody else can sing with the tones you can sing with. Exactly. As you worship God, your worship comes from the uniqueness of your individuality, and God has shaped you as an individual. That's what makes you so valuable to God, and your witness is the key to unlock some other heart. You can reach somebody that I can never reach. You can reach somebody that 3ABN or any other TV channel could never reach. Witnessing is not for a group of superstars, but God sends his church out, uniquely created for him, uniquely fashioned for him, special to him, to praise him and to be his witnesses in this generation. So what does the song of creation say to you and to me today? It says that this infinite God of sovereign power has created us. And there's nothing in our lives too difficult for him. It says he's created us unique and special. And he's planted us where we are to be witnesses for him. It also says that he values us, that we have unlimited value in his sight, that you can't put any value on us. You know, there are some people that walk around with their heads down, poor me, poor me, look where I was born for me. We don't recognize our value at times. Hey, did you ever read that story about that Filipino fisherman? He was fishing off Palawan. I, I was really interested in this one. He's fishing off Palawan, and as he's fishing, he's uh, fishing with nets, and he find, he, he's not out too deep, uh, you know, a little chest or more, and he's netting, trying to net these fish a little bit offshore, and his net goes, it, it, it goes across something. He says, what's that? And uh, as the water clears, he sees this old, ugly, large, kind of oyster-like clam. It's about three feet across. He said, that's kind of neat. I think I'll take it home and polish it up and use it, you know, just kind of my shell collection or something. He's a poor fisherman. He struggles with that thing, finally gets it up, puts it in his boat. He looks at it and says, this thing is ugly, ugly, ugly. But 
It's one of the largest clams I've ever seen, you know, three and a half feet. Polishes it off. What does he do but stick it under his bed? He's living in this little hut. He has no running water, no bathrooms in there, no electricity, and he has to live by a little campfire. Well, his house catches on fire, and uh, as the authorities come and the villagers come to put it out, they see this old clam under the bed. They take it out. They say, let's open this thing up. They open it up, and they find the world's largest pearl, worth now get this, worth $100 million. So that guy was worth $100 million and he had that thing under his bed. How much are you worth? Do you go around at times thinking you're just some old stinky clam? Thinking, I, I just wish I, wish I had more value, I wish I had more worth. When you really understand creation, it lifts your spirit to value you as Christ values you. Christ believes that you are precious. There's nobody else like you in the universe. If he loses you, he can never replace you. So the oratorio of creation speaks of his power and our worth. That leads us to the oratorio of redemption. We find that in Revelation, the fifth chapter. Revelation chapter 5. Notice Verse 8 and onward, Revelation 5, the oratorio of redemption. Now then, Revelation 5, verse 8, Now when the, he, he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now notice what they're singing. They sang a what? New song, saying... You are worthy to take the scroll. Now at the beginning of Revelation 5, you have a picture of a slain lamb in heaven. And John looks up and sees this slain lamb. Now it's a surprising place to see a lamb that's slain up there in heaven, isn't it? Pretty surprising. And so John looks up, he sees this bloody lamb in heaven. And he sees a scroll, the scroll of judgment, that nobody apparently can open. And as he sees that scroll of judgment, he weeps and Christ steps forward, the only one to, worthy to open the scroll of judgment. And so it says here in verse 9, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Now notice two things. In the oratorio of creation, who takes the initiative to create? God. And God creates through Jesus. Jesus is the active agent. In the plan of salvation, notice what it says. Verse 9, you were slain and you have redeemed us. Who takes the initiative in our salvation? Who does that? Jesus does. And it says, and he's also made us kings and priests to God. So Christian faith is not our seeking God as much as it is God seeking us. And before we ever seek him, he's seeking us. Before we ever turn to him, he is reaching out for us. He's sending his spirit to move in our hearts and our lives. 
He's drawing us to the cross of Calvary. Salvation is God's desire to see us in heaven with him because he created us. We are unique and special. When the human race sinned, he came and died the death we should have died so we could live the life he should have lived. He, he actually lived. Notice what it says. You were slain and have redeemed us by your blood. What is the significance of the cross? Is it possible to have a low estimate of what actually happened on the cross of Calvary? And the, the least we understand about what happened on the cross, the least we're going to appreciate the cross. Why is this song of redemption so incredibly powerful in changing our lives? Why is this song of redemption so incredibly powerful of making us into kings and priests to God? Let's probe a little bit the depths of the cross. We begin in Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter 2. The more we understand the depths of Calvary and what Christ went through on Calvary, and the more that grips us, the more we are charmed by his love, the more we appreciate his grace. Grace, the grace of the cross was free, but it was not cheap. The grace that Christ manifests to us on the cross was free, but it was no way cheap. It didn't cost us much, but it cost heaven everything. Hebrews chapter 2, we look verse 9. But we see Jesus. Who do we see, everybody? Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Notice these words again that echo from Revelation. See, this glory is what Satan wanted. Honor is what Satan wanted. But Christ is crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So when Christ died on the cross... The death of Christ on the cross was for all humanity. Because if it were not for all humanity, wickedness would overflow this world. So on the cross, salvation is given by Christ for all humanity. Now we cannot receive that salvation unless we accept it. We accept what Christ has already done for us by faith. But notice he tastes death for every man. What does it mean that he tastes death for every man? What death did Jesus die on the cross? If he only died the first death, then there is no salvation for the second death. So what's the difference between the first death and the second death? The first death is the death that all sinners die, every human being dies as the result of being born in a sinful world, unless Jesus comes. We look forward to that, don't we? We want to get out of this world alive. The second death is the death that, we, that sinners die as the result of the condemnation of a broken law. It's the eternal death. So if I only believe that Jesus died on that cross the first death, there is no salvation from the what? Second death. So what is the evidence in Scripture that Jesus died the second death, and what does that actually mean? Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. The song of redemption is a song that fills our hearts and thrills our soul when we understand that Christ went into the grave for us. 
that he died the second death for us, that he bore the guilt and shame and condemnation of sin for us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is the condemnation that comes from dying the second death. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So we read in, in Hebrews 2 that Christ tasted the death for every human being. We read in Galatians 3 that, that Christ bore the curse, the condemnation of sin on the cross. Now, to tie this all together, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he, that is God, made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin. Did Jesus ever sin? Not at all. He was pure, spotless, undefiled, never sinned even by a thought or action. For he made him to be, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteous of God in him. Did Christ, who knew no sin, become sin for us? Did he do that? Yes. So when Jesus hung on the cross, with those nails driven through his hands, and the blood running down his wrist, and the crown of thorns upon his head, when darkness enshrouded him, he could not see the Father's face. He could not see through the portals of the tomb, as Ellen White writes it in The Desire of Ages. So for him, as he hung on the cross, for those moments with the guilt of sin resting upon him, with the condemnation of sin resting upon him, with all the shame of sin resting upon him, all he could experience and feel was his heart being ripped apart from the Father's heart because of sin. Here is Christ that lived with the Father for millions and trillions and eons in eternity, lived in oneness with the Father, lived in unity with the Father, where the love between the two of them was unestimable. But there he hangs upon that cross. His heart is being wrenched from the Father's heart because of sin. He, is, he experiences the wailing and gnashing of teeth that those will experience when they're lost in the fires of hell. And so Jesus goes through hell for us on the cross. And when you understand that, it breaks your heart. There's nothing like that in the universe. There's no other religion that teaches anything like that, that Christ was willing to go into the grave, be willing to be wrenched from the Father's heart forever for you and for me. And all we can do is sing the oratorio of redemption. They sang a new song, a new song fills our heart, a new spring comes in our step, a new joy fills our soul. Why? They sang a new song, saying or singing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, you redeemed us from, of God by your blood, of every tribe, nation, tongue, you've made us kings and priests to God. By Christ's love and grace, we are justified. We stand before him just as we've never sinned. By Christ's love and grace, we are sanctified. It's all of grace. Redeemed from the guilt of the past by grace. Changed and saved and sanctified by grace. And that which holds us through all eternity, the reason we never drift back into sin again, 
is because there is a love that holds us so strong and we recognize the sacrifice that he went through for us. Therefore, today, we don't want to turn our backs on that sacrifice. We don't want to let down the one that died for us some time ago. A young sergeant in the Vietnam War told his soldiers, he said, look, whatever happens, I want you to know that my one goal is to get you home. My one goal is to get you home. It was a heavy firefight in the jungles of Vietnam. One soldier went out to try to, to head off the enemy. He took a bullet in his shoulder. The sergeant remembered what he said, I'll do anything to get you home. He, he crawled out, fire fight going over his head, pulled that soldier back, and just as he was getting him back in the foxhole where the medics could work on him, a bullet went through the neck of the sergeant that was saving that young man. And the sergeant took another bullet in the back and died on the field. After the war was over, the parents of that sergeant who died wanted to meet the young soldier who their son gave his life for. They lived out in Washington State. So they invited this young man who their son had died for out to their home. They wanted to sit and talk about the last moments of their son's life. The young soldier was not a Christian. He was kind of a party guy. So he partied before going to their house. And he arrived at their house half drunk. As they sat down to talk about their son, he was burping out his alcohol. He began to talk about some off-color jokes and some stuff that happened in the war. Very inappropriate. At the end of the night, it was a horrible night for those parents. The young man walked out, got in his car, kind of peeled out, rocks flying everywhere, and the woman of the house simply looked up at her husband and said, my son, my precious son died for that thing. It was the height of ingratitude to give so little for one who gave so much. It is the height of ingratitude to give so little to the Christ who gave so much. It is the height of ingratitude for the trinkets of this world to walk away from such love. Three songs. The song of creation speaks of his power and our worth. The song of redemption speaks of his love and his grace. But there's one more song. Revelation, the 15th chapter. Revelation chapter 15, there is one more song. And we look there at Revelation 15. The first two songs are being sung now up in heaven. This song you and I will sing. We will join with men and women throughout the universe and be unfallen beings throughout the universe. Revelation chapter 15, we're looking there. We start with verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. What does the sea of glass mingled with fire represent? 
Fire represents always fiery trials in the presence of God. The glass is translucent. So here God's people have gone through fiery trials, but they're standing there on the sea of glass, redeemed by the grace of Christ. They have victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark. The beast will not win. The mark of the beast will not triumph. God will have a people who have victory over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses. We're singing together as we stand on the sea of glass with the redeemed of all ages. The servant of God, the song of the Lamb. It's the song of Moses and the Lamb. We sing, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. True and just are your ways, O King of saints. Who shall fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? You alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you. Your judgments have been manifest. What is indeed the song of Moses? You will remember it well. Moses led the children of Israel through the Sinai Desert. He led them to the Red Sea. On one side were mountains. On the other side was desert. Before them was the Red Sea. And as Moses led them there, Pharaoh with his chariots and his army chased them. They looked back and saw the sun dancing and glimmering off those swords. Death was certain. And God said to Moses, go forward, go forward. Moses put his feet in the water, led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And as he did, they got on the other side. The Egyptians went through. And as the Egyptians were going to go through, the waters came crashing down and drowned them. Miriam, we read about it in Exodus, the 15th chapter. Miriam leads them in the song of Moses. Incidentally, this is just a side point, there are three songs of Moses in the Old Testament. And this is one of them, one of the most significant. There's another song in Deuteronomy when Moses dies, and it's one song that Psalms records. But Psalm 15 is the song of victory. It's the song of triumph. Psalm... Rather, Exodus 15 is where we want to be. Exodus 15, verse, five, verse 1. Exodus 15, verse 1, the song of Moses. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord my strength in song, he's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. Verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you've overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, which consumed them like stubble. What is the song of Moses? The song of Moses is the song of triumph. The song of Moses is the song of victory. The song of Moses is the song that the battle is over, that Christ is won. It is finished. Jesus is won. The song of Moses, a song that you and I sing on that sea of glass. The beast will not win. Christ will. Satan will not triumph. Jesus will. The forces of hell will not win. The Egyptian forces were marshaled against the Israelites, and it looked like there was no possibility of victory. So at end time, when church and state unite, when the mark of the beast is enforced, it'll appear that there's no way around or through the trauma that we are facing. But the incredible good news is, Jesus was victorious on the cross against the principalities and powers of hell. And Jesus 
will get us home. At the end of the Second World War, there were eight million, eight million men and women, soldiers, army personnel, navy personnel, marines, left in Europe and Asia. And the United States government knew that they had to get them home. So before the end of the war, when the Second World War was ending, the United States government developed a plan called Operation Magic Carpet. Operation Magic Carpet. It was a secret plan that would be initiated when the war ended to get 8 million people home. It took them 18 months to accomplish one of the most amazing evacuations in history. They actually mobilized the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth, painted them gray. They had been using them in the war to get, them, to get Americans home. Eight million. Many of them were brought into Long Beach in, in California. 360 ships kept bringing them back and forth, back and forth. The idea was we want to get them home for Christmas. Magic carpet operation, get them home for Christmas. When these American soldiers came to the Long Beach, there was a problem. And the problem was, how do you get them now out to Chicago? How do you get them to New York? How do you get them across this country as they're coming home? The trains were packed. But there were so many soldiers on the trains that they couldn't go everywhere. Citizens gave up their seats and said, Take my seat, soldier. Uh, take my seat. you got to get home for Christmas. The battle is won. The enemy is defeated. you got to get home. Take my seat. When these trains at times stopped in towns and they'd be there, the town would break out in singing. The battle is won. The victory is over. There would be great parties and feasts for these American soldiers. There were a number of the soldiers that never got home for Christmas. They would be stranded in Chicago on a train going to New York. People in Chicago came out to the train station and said, they didn't even know these guys. Come home for, with me for Christmas and let's celebrate together. The victory is won. The battle is over. There was a taxi cab in Los Angeles and he saw three GIs standing on the side. He said, where are you going? They said, we're going out to Chicago. He said, get in, I'll take you. And he drove in his taxi, only charged him for the gas to get those boys home. There was rejoicing all through America. The, the war was over. The battle was done. God longs to get soldiers of the cross home. And if the American government has Operation Magic Carpet, Jesus has Operation Second Coming. And he is going to get his soldiers home. And when we get home, there's going to be rejoicing all through the universe. We will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, not some Christmas feast, and praise God forever and ever and ever. The angels will be singing. Cherubims and seraphims will be singing. Men and women from unfallen beings, from unfallen worlds will be singing. We'll be rejoicing through all of the ages because Christ wants to get you home. He created you. He redeemed you. 
He's coming again for you. I don't want to let him down, do you? I don't want to let him down. I don't want to miss something better than magic carpet. I don't want to miss the glory of the coming of our Lord. Is that your desire as well? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you've created us. There's nobody like us in the universe. The devil would have us believe that our lives are meaningless. But you fashioned us. We're special to you. And the one that created us is all-powerful. We place our lives in your hands. You redeemed us. At infinite cost to heaven, you shed your blood for us. And Lord, one day we can sing the song of Moses. The enemy's defeated. The battle is over. One day we can rejoice around the throne of God. We look forward to that day. And thank you that it'll be soon. May each one of us be there, not missing one. In Christ's name, amen.